0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. We are going to jump into God's Word together today. Um, As I was thinking about the message this morning, I thought back to uh, just a couple of months ago, my dad celebrated his 95th birthday. Uh, Not a lot of people live that long, 95 years old, and he was able to drive himself to our house, which is about an hour and 20-minute drive, something like that. And, and we celebrated a birthday probably probably a lot like your family does. You know, we had a meal together. We got him a few gifts. It's hard to buy for a 95-year-old guy, right? What has he not had? But uh, bought him a few gifts. If you ever want to buy him something, a Subway gift card. That's, that's my dad's love language. But uh, we had cake and ice cream. We sang. It was loud. It was a Sunday. You know, we had all the kids there, the grandkids there. So there's 14 or 15 of us in a, in a pretty small house, so it's, it's pretty noisy. My dad's kind of hard of hearing, and so, you know, communication is, is a little bit difficult, but as it's winding down, I think by this time, it's just my dad and I sitting at the lunch table, and I looked at him, I said, Dad, did you ever think you would live to see 95? And he just got quiet, and he looked at me, he said, I'm not sure I wanted to. And as he said that, it's like everything else in the house got muted to my ears. And I heard these words out of my dad's mouth. And it was like maybe for the first time I've ever heard him, he was, he was dealing with his own mortality. He was, he was dealing with this idea of, you know, I don't know how much longer I actually want to live in this body that is wearing out. Okay? Now, uh, it, was, it was kind of a, a sobering moment uh, for me. And I've been chewing on those words that, that he spoke for about the last two months. And it's not that my dad hates life. He's not depressed or anything like that. In fact, he loves life, but he knows his body is simply wearing out. He is well past the manufacturer's best by date. Right. <laughs> He's had a lot of parts replaced. He's lived through several recalls. Come on, somebody. And I think he's just beginning to wonder, you know, how many more years do I actually want to live in a body that is perishing? Shortly after that, just a few days, he had told me he had fallen several times recently. And just a few days after that, we... We found out he had a brain bleed and he ended up being in the hospital for about three weeks and went through another life-threatening situation. Thankfully, he pulled through and he's doing well and he's walking every day and he's eating good and all that. But he knows that even recovery for him, it's not like recovering at 95, it's not like recovering at 25. right? He knows that his present body is nearing its end. Now, some folks might say, geez, Pastor, thanks for encouraging us all this morning way to kick off a sermon, but I would just say, wait, there's more. I promise it will get better. Today we are concluding a series. We teach in series a lot here at Crossroads called I Believe. And in this series, we've been unpacking a teaching tool called the Apostles Creed. And if you're new to Christianity and say, you know, what is, what is the Bible all about? If I was to read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation and, and do like a one-page book report, what, what would it say? Well, The Apostles' Creed is pretty much what it would say. The Apostles' Creed is a teaching tool that the church around the world has been using for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years to really be a snapshot of what we believe as Christians. And so what we've been doing for the last 12 weeks is taking it line by line, kind of putting it under that uh, microscope, blowing it up and, and focusing in on like, what does this mean and why do we believe it and how does it make a difference in our lives? And today we're going to conclude that series, but why don't we go ahead and read it together one more time. We're going to put it on the screen behind me, and you can read it along with me. If you're ready, say, "I'm I'm ready. All right, here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and the life everlasting. Amen. For 12 weeks, we have taken this creed, line by line, just gone through it, dissected it, and today is our last line. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, this line of the creed is not referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've already covered that earlier in the creed. This line of the creed is actually talking about The resurrection of our bodies and then the eternal life that happens after that. So there are three things I want to talk to you about this morning. Eternal hope, eternal bodies, and eternal life. Eternal hope, eternal bodies, and eternal life. Let's go to the words of Jesus. John chapter 5. Jesus says this, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now it is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, listen now, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. What? (laughs) Yeah. They'll come out of the grave, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is an incredible passage of scripture in which Jesus explains several things that we've studied in the creed, but one of them is is that he talks to us about the limits that death has on a believer in Christ. You see, often I think when we look at death, we see death as final. We look at death, it seems overwhelming. Uh, we, we might see darkness. We might feel hopelessness. We might feel grief. Now, in what I'm about to say this morning, please, uh, please don't think that I'm minimizing the pain of grief. Don't misunderstand me. I know that premature death or tragic death is a pain that is unthinkable. And I'm not downplaying that at all. We have people in the room right now who are, who are walking through the pain of grief. And we love you and we're praying for you. So please do not hear what I'm about to say as being insensitive to your pain because I'm not. I have felt that kind of grief and I've walked through uh, that kind of grief with countless families. So I know that's real. But what I want to do is to offer all of us some hope today because we're going to allow the Bible to put death in its proper perspective. Okay? If you're you're currently walking through grief, death can feel like it is supreme. But I want to reassure you today that Jesus Christ is greater than death. He's greater than death. For a believer in Christ, death is not final. It is not the supreme commander of our lives. Death is a doorway. It is an usher into eternal life. Therefore, death does not have to be feared. Okay? When my dad leaves his body, I'm not looking forward to it. I will grieve. I'm sure I will cry. I will miss him. But when my 95-year-old dad Leaves his body, it will not be a tragedy, it will be victory. Come on, somebody. You, you understand? He's lived a long life, he's saved now. For many, many, many years, he was an alcoholic. And he didn't know the Lord. He didn't serve the Lord. He wasn't saved. He wasn't redeemed. But because God is good and faithful, as, as, as our family began walking with the Lord, the Holy Spirit went after my dad, and he saved him, and he redeemed him. And so when a 95-year-old man or 105, however long he lives, when he dies, it's not going to be tragic. It's going to be a moment of victory. We have to change the way that we see Jesus says in this passage that for a believer, this life is as close to death as we will ever come. Because when these bodies pass away, then and only then can we enter into everlasting life. Let me put it to you this way. There is an abundant life after this one. There's an abundant life after this one. There is life multiplied that is waiting for us once we shed these earthly bodies. For you and I right now, our bodies are in a constant state of decay. Now, if you're really young and healthy here this morning, you might not grasp this yet. Somebody say yet. (laughs) But for those of us who have a few decades under our belts, we are starting to rejoice in the truth that we are not going to live in these bodies forever. That's not sad news. That's actually good news. Do I have anyone in the room starting to get a little bit hopeful, looking forward to the time when ibuprofen and Aleve is no longer a part of your daily breakfast? Come on. You see, this life is not all there is. And on the other side of this life is eternal life. And we will enjoy that eternal life in a brand new body. Again, if you're relatively healthy today, that's not a big deal to you. But if you're dealing with a sickness... Or a disease, or just some plain old old age, then you start getting excited about your future body. Just this week, I was working in my office, and I, 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 you know, I'm still trying to figure out glasses. Like I don't need them for up close, but if you're 10 feet away from me, I can't make out your facial features, so I need them. And so they're on again and off again. And back and forth and back and forth. And I've taken my glasses off. I ran in here to the sanctuary. I'm doing some stuff over here. And I look. The doors are open. They're propped open. And I look. In the back are two shady figures. And I don't mean they're shady people. But to my eyesight, they were shady. And one of them said, hey, pastor. Uh, I want you to meet my friend Karen. And I'm up here. I'm starting to panic because this woman evidently knows me. But I can't see her. I don't know who it is. And I'm like, oh, hi, Karen. How's it going? And I'm up here panicking, and I'm trying to think, when did I get old? Right? I went to bed one night, young and vibrant. Well, at least as young and vibrant as I can be. I went to bed one night, and I could see. I woke up the next day. I couldn't see anything. I blame it on COVID. COVID. <laughs> and we just blame it on COVID, but like, I don't, I don't know. I think I know the guy in the third row, but I'm not sure. I think you're handsome, but I don't know. Is he handsome? Kind of, she said. So anyway, <laughs> I, I just don't know. If I walk past you in Walmart, it's not because I don't like you. It's not because I don't know you. It's not because I'm being rude. I can't see you. <laughs> we got any other old people in the room? <laughs> when did it happen? How did this Happen, But you see, when enough things on your body stop working the way they're supposed to work, you start to think, surely God has something better in mind for me. And here's the good news. He does. Somebody say he does. He does. The something he has better for us is called a resurrection body. Let's talk about that a little bit. A resurrection body. There are so many misunderstandings we have when it comes to the afterlife. Life after this one. Uh, some folks think we're going to become angels and have wings. No, we're not. Other folks think we're just going to be disembodied spirits like ghosts, like Casper. We're not. The truth is we are going to spend eternity in resurrection bodies that in some ways will be very similar to the bodies we have now. But in other ways, they will be vastly superior. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He said, For we know that if our earthly house is talking about our bodies, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, talking about our new body. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Verse 4. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. I like the way Paul says that. Further clothed, better clothed. There is, there's something better in that new body. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So in our first scripture today, Jesus challenged us, He challenged our mindset. He said, listen, listen, church, I want you to, to not look at death as the end of your existence. See death as the beginning of your new life. And now Paul comes along and he says, hey, church, when your earthly body dies, don't see it as something being taken away from you. See it as an opportunity to be further Clothed or better clothed because your dying body is going to be swallowed up by eternal life. Your current body is in this constant state of decay, but one day it will be replaced with a superior resurrection body. These bodies right now are like a seed that will be planted in the ground if, if we die before the Lord comes. But one day will be resurrected into newness of life. Now, how will it be superior? Well, our new bodies will have never been touched by sin. Never. Our new bodies will have never known sin. Our new bodies will have never known sickness or disease. They cannot get sick, okay? They, they, They are perfect. They cannot... They cannot have a disease. So today, if you're suffering with something like cancer or heart disease or lung disease, there is a new body waiting for you that will never know those diseases. This week, I spent some time with a dear man in our church and took him to a doctor appointment and and he's got a serious lung disease and my heart just broke for him as he's struggling. He's sitting there beside me and he's struggling to talk and and the oxygen, he's on oxygen all the time. He's struggling to catch a, a breath. He's struggling to get some air. And and I I just I'm just thinking, you know, uh, I mean, I don't I don't want him to leave this world before the Lord is ready for him or anything like that. But I just wanted to say to him, his name is Dave. I want to say, my brother Dave, there is a new body waiting for you. God has something better for you. Your eternal life is going to be enjoyed in a heavenly body and you will not need that oxygen tank, my brother. That's 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 his reality. That is his future. Friends, this, it's not just a fairy tale that we wish for. This is a fundamental belief. This made it into the creed. When the early church was saying, what What?" What's some of those most important things that God's word teaches us? This made it into that creed. That there's going to be a resurrection of our bodies. It's taught in the Old and the New Testament. You see, in, to, in order to fully participate in eternal life, we have to shed these bodies and be clothed with a heavenly body. Our heavenly bodies won't have any abnormalities or defects. be no paralysis, no dementia, no mental illness. Our old bodies will go into uh, the ground as a seed, but then God is going to raise them up and transform them in the twinkling of an eye, and they are going to be raised imperishable, immortal, and glorified. Is anybody looking forward to a new body? I am. I am. Again, young people, just wait. Pull this message up on the YouTube in about 20 years. You'll be like, oh, yeah, amen, preach. (laughs) All right, our last line of the creed that we're looking at today contains two phrases that are connected. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. In order to enjoy the life everlasting, we must have a resurrection body. Remember, in eternity, we will be fully active people. Okay? Okay. Again, we have so many misconceptions and you hear preachers say all the time, you know, like people picture we're going to be chubby babies, floating on clouds, playing harps. As cool as that sounds, I guess it sounds cool, I don't know. Uh, that's not going to be eternity. That, that's not what eternity is going to look like. So the things that we use our bodies to do here on this earth, we will use our new bodies to do in eternal life. Right here, we use our bodies to worship and to work. We will do those same things in eternity. Someone might say, Pastor, I thought heaven was just a place of rest. Nope, you're wrong. I'm sure there'll be time for a nap if you want one. But heaven is not an eternal nap. Some of y'all getting depressed right now. The The head is just like, what? No, you don't understand. Heaven is life multiplied. It's not life subtracted. We have never been as alive as we will be in eternity there is way more life after the grave than there is on this side of the grave way more we will have jobs in heaven we will worship in heaven we're going to use our bodies to do those things and although there won't be romance in the way that we know it now, I believe that we'll even, even use our bodies to show affection to one another, like, you know, a handshake or a, a high five or a hug. Some of you all say, wait a minute, if I have to hug people in heaven, I'm not sure I want to go. <laughs> Don't worry, you introvert. The hugs will be holy, not weird. Come on. So what will this eternity be like? Some people say, well, what will we look like in these resurrection bodies? We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure. I suspect that that we might look pretty similar to what we look like now. I I mean, God said now we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? There'll be no bugs in heaven (laughs) we're cats. All right, so I'm just kidding, Janessa. I'm just kidding. Keep your seat. Keep your seat. (laughs) Last week, I said, cats have a love language of dead rodent. That's a cat's love language. I don't understand. But anyway, um, what will we look like? I think we'll look something like we look now. Now, I don't know. I just think it'd be fun to think about, like, what if we could customize? Like, what if there's something we do? One thing we don't like about our bodies now that we could change. Like, we just put it in order, like a, an order form, you know? Like, what would you change? Don't tell me. <laughs> don't, don't yell it out. That'll get weird. But, uh, <laughs> but we, don't, we, don't really, we don't really know. We're not really told. Some people say, how old will we be? We're not told. We, we don't know. Some people speculate, and they think whatever the prime of your life is, that would be Your age. Some people think because Jesus died when he was about 33 years old, that we'll all be about 33 when when we're up there. I, I don't know. Some people think, you know, like what if a baby passes away? Will that will that baby grow up again? We there's just there's just a lot of things that we're not told. But whatever you can imagine heaven and eternity to be like, it will be better than that. I mean, how many have a good imagination? Whatever you can imagine, it would be better than that. Scripture says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man... The things that God has in store for those who love him. Church, let me tell you this. You and I are going to spend eternity watching our God show off. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Me and you, we're the only ones looking forward to it. rest of you, you're just living heaven on earth right now. Life is perfect for you. Man, 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 man. Whenever someone in the Bible tries to describe heaven and eternity using words, they they always fall short because it is very difficult to describe a spiritual reality using natural words. So even the Apostle Paul, when he had an experience where he was caught up into the third heaven and he begins to write about it, he said, he said, church, I saw things up there that I cannot even describe for you. They are unlawful for me to utter. He's like, I'm falling short here. I, I, I cannot put words to what I saw. And when you read the writings of the Apostle John, which we're going to read in just a minute, he would often say, I saw this and it was like this. What he was saying is, I, I'm trying my best <laughs> to show you, to give you a comparison of what heaven is like, but I'm, I'm always falling short. So keep that in mind as we read this, because what we read is real good, but it's better than that. Revelation 21. I want you to track this with me. We'll go to verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, Also, there was no more sea. Now, how many enjoy a trip to the ocean? Right? I I love the ocean. When you go to the ocean, why do you go to the ocean? You want to play in it? I like you. Young, young at heart, young at heart. Peace, that's what someone said in the first service. We, When we see how big it is, it, it, it puts us in our proper perspective and we realize that the weight of the world is not on our shoulder at all. It is in the hand of Almighty God who made that. There's something therapeutic. There's something real good for our soul to see mountains, to see stars, to see sunrises and sunsets. There's something therapeutic about that because, again, it just makes us realize that we're not God. But yet we know the God who created all that. But in in, in this new world, if you will, it says there'll, there'll be no more sea. Now, when you read that, if you're a fan of the ocean, you might say, well, I don't know if I like that or not. I I wanted her to be a sea. Here's the point. Again, John's using language here. He's trying to help us understand this. Here's the point. When you see Jesus, he will be so awesome that you'll forget about the ocean. That's, that's, how, that's how good. <laughs> It's going to be. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now watch this in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear do you know that you have never cried a tear that God himself didn't know about? Scripture says that our tears are kept in vials, bottles, containers in heaven. He is a great high priest who feels what we feel. That's how close Jesus Christ is to his people. But there is a day that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Verse 5. Then when he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. It's talking about us too. We're gonna be made new. He said to this to me, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Can you imagine? You imagine being there with Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, Dustin, that's my son. To think that he's not ashamed of us, us fallen, broken people, that Jesus will see you walking in this this new heaven, this new earth, and You'd be like, oh, there's there's Susan. That's my daughter. You ever had a family member you didn't really want to introduce to anybody? (laughs) Come on, somebody. Let's just be real. Let's just be real. Thanksgiving's coming. You ever have someone you just didn't really claim? (laughs) Jesus don't do that. He says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Verse 8, but, everyone say but. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This passage paints this awesome picture for us of the glory of heaven, but it also reminds us of the pain of hell. Choose wisely, my friends. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. Again, I, last night I was out looking up at the Garrett County sky and looking at the stars and seeing how beautiful they are and seeing the moon. This morning I was up before the sun and I, I we live kind of down in the valley so we can see the sunrise coming up and it's so beautiful and I'm thanking God for it. But there is going to come a day when I see Jesus, I'll forget about the ocean, I'll forget about the stars, I'll forget about the sun and the moon and I'll just worship him. Just worship Him. Verse 24, in the nations of those who are saved. How many saved people do we have in the room this morning? The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no more night there. Think about those of us who suffer through the night sometimes. When depression comes and darkness comes and loneliness comes and you can't sleep and addictions come and temptations come. We fight the battle. We don't want to give in, but here we are over and over and over again. Night just seems, just so many things often seem to get worse at night. There's coming a day there'll be no more night the glory of God will shine so brightly that there'll be no darkness verse 26 and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it verse 27 another but but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of life is your name written in that book. Friends, for the past 12 weeks, we've studied the story of God as contained in the Apostles' Creed. That's really what it is. It's the story of God. We've confessed 12 different truths that help us understand creation and the origin of life. If you want to know where you came from, let me tell you, you are not here by chance. You did not evolve from pond scum. You are made in the image and likeness of Almighty God crafted by His hand. As we've confessed these truths, it has helped us understand that God had a plan to redeem mankind and call us into a family called the church. These truths have helped us see Jesus as Savior but also as judge. Knowing that true love contains judgment because without justice there is no love. They helped us understand that when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent us his Holy Spirit to live among us and in us. And that Holy Spirit is our teacher, our comforter, our counselor, our gift giver, and our fruit producer. These truths help us grasp how through His sacrifice on the cross, you and I could be made the sons and daughters of God, totally cleansed and totally forgiven of our sins. And today this final truth teaches us that God not only has a plan for our past, God has a plan for our future. His plan is to walk us through death without fear and one day clothe us with a resurrection body in which we will enjoy everlasting life with Him and our fellow believers made up from people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. Friends, this is a good plan. Not everything about this life is good. But God's plan to redeem us and live forever with us is very, very good. Can someone say amen this morning? I pray that some somehow through this series, your faith has been strengthened. Your understanding of the gospel has grown. Mine has. I've been preaching for decades, but I've learned things that I didn't know before. And, and I, I, I feel like I'm walking away from this series with with a, a, a better clarity and understanding this eternal plan of God. We're not out here just, you know, doing our own thing. just. Out here in space, wondering where this God is, we live on his timeline. We we this we are living out the prophetic story of God, uh, of his redemption story of mankind, and he had it all planned in the past, and he has an awesome future planned for us. As I was studying this passage in Revelation this week, it made me think of an old song. I went to church till I was about six years old. And then our family stopped going to church and didn't go back to church until I was in my early 20s. But I still remember this song when I was about five or six years old at Swisher Hill Union Mission Church in Worthington, West Virginia. And I I wondered, what's the history of that song? Where did it come from? And so I did a little Googling, as we do, and, and found out that back in the 1950s, there was a young man by the name of Jim Hill. And Jim was a new believer just a baby Christian. he had married into this family of Christians, and his mother-in-law at the age of 50 suffered a debilitating stroke. It was really bad. As Jim is driving down the road, he's thinking, wait a minute, I thought God was good. And and if God was good, how did he allow this to happen to this good, godly woman at the age of 50? And it created some tension in Jim's faith. He's, he's, He's driving home, and he remembered that he had read this passage in Revelation 21 that you and I just read. And he remembered that it said there was there was going to be a day where there's going to be no more sorrow and no more tears. And as he's driving, he's thinking about that. And he just goes, oh, what a day that will be. He gets home and the, the lyrics start flowing out of him. And all he could find was a piece of cardboard. And he gets a piece of cardboard and he wrote this song that the church has been singing for about 70 years. And I asked our worship team, some of them knew it. Some of them looked at me and said, Pastor, you are really old. They didn't know it. Stand with us today. And we're going to sing this old song, and we'll let you go here in just a couple of minutes. Maybe you know it. It's like this.
1: Well, there is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky no more tears to dim the eyes all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore oh what a day glorious day that will be ladies back here come on let's sing this together oh what a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see When I look upon his face The one who saved me by his grace And when he takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land
0: Oh, what a
1: day,
0: glorious day I remember this old song. I
1: like this verse. It says, "Well, there'll be no more sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one." Died for me oh what a day a glorious day that will be come on let's sing this chorus oh what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon his face the one who stays And when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. And when he takes me, and when he takes me by the hand and leads me through, What a day, a glorious day that will be!
0: You looking forward to that day? Three more minutes. Let's bow our heads. Every Sunday, we gather together, and I can assume that most of us in this room. Because you're here on a Sunday, you're worshiping God, you're serving in the church, you're giving, you're helping the ministry to move forward. It's it's safe to assume that most of us here are saved. What that passage was talking about. We're saved. We're saved from our sin. We're saved from our past. We're saved from ourselves. We've come to the place where we realized that we are sinful, broken people who need a Savior. And we have We've, we've taken what's in the Bible and we've made it personal to us. We've surrendered our lives to the Lord. We've asked for His forgiveness. I think that's safe to assume. But it's also safe to assume in a room full of hundreds of people that there are some here this morning who are not saved. And, and what I've found over the years, i, I found people who were, were pastors, but they weren't saved. i found people who were deacons and elders and nursery workers and and, and people singing in a choir or singing on a platform who're not saved never had that experience where it, it wasn't just something that you you read about in a book but it was something that became personal to you and, and friends I' preached to you the gospel today we've read it in the scriptures. What a beautiful passage in Revelation chapter 21 where we're told about this awesome future that God has planned for us. But twice in that one passage, twice, Jesus warns us and he says, listen, there is this awesome future prepared for you, but it is reserved for saved people. Friend, if you're here today and you don't have an assurance of your salvation, that if... If you died, you don't know where you would spend eternity. I want to tell you, you do not have to live the rest of your your life wondering about that. You can know that you're saved. So just like I did and just like hundreds of people did in the course of our lifetime, we we came to that place where we realized we need a personal relationship with God. It's not our mom, it's not our grandma, it's not our dad, It's us. Today if you're in this room and you know you need to be saved, would you tell the Lord that? You don't have to you don't have to quote scripture, you don't have to be an eloquent prayer. Maybe you've never prayed before. But today would you just say, "Lord Jesus, I need you. I need to be saved. I repent of my sin. I want to know you, God. I want to love you. I want to serve you." I want to be ready for heaven and eternity. If you're a man, you're a woman, you're a child, a teenager today, God's talking to you. Just say yes to him. He loves you. Sent his son to die in your place. Invites you to join his family today come on church sing that for me one more time what a day Say, oh what?